Tonight is the last in a series of these studies in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you were following an outline that he gave one of the nights during the Bible conference, you will recognize that in the outline we are now at Roman numeral 5. The true test of a believer doing. The true test of a believer. Now keep in mind that the Sermon on the Mount was not given as a plan of salvation but a plan of service. You might even say this is a, a test that Jesus was giving his disciples. They had begun to follow him, and perhaps he was wondering if they understood what it meant to follow him. And so he wanted to make it very clear. In another passage, the Lord says something about count the cost before you come. No man that's going to build a tower starts building before he sits down and counts how much it's going to cost. And... Uh, He's indicating how important it is that we know what we're doing when we begin to follow Jesus. And so right at the outset of his ministry, right after his baptism, he began to do some miracles and great crowds began to follow him. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, and the sayings are these Three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with the Beatitudes and going through the wonderful truth of what is Christianity all about. You might say that these three chapters are a condensed, distilled statement of what Christian faith is. Not how to be saved, but what Christian faith is all about. How a Christian is to behave. A lot of times we overlook this. We receive Christ, and we go through the motions, and we enjoy singing, we enjoy the fellowship, but when it comes to really the demands of discipleship that are spoken of in these verses, we don't know very much about it. And we come to the end of this whole session, and Jesus sort of climaxing it. You might say this is the climax to the message. If you were outlining it, you might call this the conclusion to his message. And he's saying, now here's the true test of a believer. And we want to read these verses, beginning in verse uh, 15, Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruit ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have 
cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto you, unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the beat upon the house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as described. Now let's go back to verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now specifically, he's talking about that when he follows that up by talking about their fruits. He shall know them by their fruits. Now in this next section, when he talks about a tree that brings forth good fruit or a tree that brings forth evil fruit, would you say that he's talking about the general characteristic of that tree, or is he talking about the tree producing every uh, pear on it, or every peach on it, or every apple on it, or every grape, or or every uh, peach on it, or every uh, plum, or whatever, that every one of them is good, or the general characteristic of that tree is good? Which would you say? General characteristic, that's what I think it is saying. We've all known trees that generally produce good, good fruit. And then every once in a while you find a, some apple that a worm got into. That doesn't mean that every tr- fruit on that tree is worm-ridden. But just one of those, mostly it's good fruit. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying that everyone that trusts Christ as his Savior will be perfect and there will be no blemish whatsoever. But he's saying the general characteristic of that person will be good fruit. That's generally what what will produce. That doesn't mean that there won't be some time when you lose your temper, you say things you ought not to say, and you have to to ask God to forgive you, like Simon Peter. It doesn't mean that there won't be some times when you'll even doubt like Thomas did. But it means that the basic characteristic of your life will be to produce good fruit. Now basically the fruit of a Christian is other, other Christians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and long-suffering and all those things. <clears throat> but the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. And so the real test of a believer is what is he producing? What is, he, what is his general characteristic in producing? Now, some produce more fruit than others. In the parable of the sower, the Lord told about some whose seed fell among in good ground, and it sprung up, and, and it produced fruit, some tenfold, some sixtyfold, some a hundredfold. So everybody doesn't produce the same amount of fruit. But the general characteristic of that fruit is good fruit. That's what he's talking about. 
Now, good fruit includes good doctrine. <coughs> and in context, he's talking about beware of false prophets. They come to you and, and uh, some of them as, as ravenous wolves, really, in sheep's clothing. And they act like they have good fruit. But if you examine their doctrine, which is part of their fruit, you'll find that it isn't so good. How many of you have met people like that? That doesn't mean they're bad people. It means their doctrine is wrong. And therefore, you have to be aware of that. And a lot of Baptists are gullible at this point. As a matter of fact, <coughs> I read somewhere that the greatest mission field the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses have are Baptists. That's a tragedy. It's because many of Sunday morning glory. They come on Sunday morning, they never get anchored, they never really study, they don't know a thing about the Bible, just a, a little bit. They hear a little bit. But they are gullible. I had a lady one time call me and ask me a certain thing. She, she practically never came as a member of our church. And I, I asked her why she was asking this. It was obviously a question that related to Jehovah's Witness doctrine. Well, she said, we're having this Bible study in my home, and I didn't understand what they were trying to tell me, and I thought I'd ask you. I said, well, we discuss that in training often. Oh, she said, I never heard it discussed. At Grande, I've never heard it discussed at all. I said, well, if, you, if you'd come, you could hear that, and you'd understand. Well, see, she didn't do that, and she ended up becoming a Jehovah's Witness. Just got confused. I don't know whether she was ever saved again with or not. Might have been. I don't know. I think there's some people in the Jehovah's Witness and Mormon groups, Mormon groups, who have been saved, but they're they're deceived. But at any rate, Jesus is here talking about good fruit, and he says, "By their fruit ye shall know them. By the fruit they produce, that is, the fruit of their lives. What's the general characteristic of their life like? Are they generally?" people that cuss and swear and snort and drink and that's their general characteristic? Are they generally people who are all mixed up in their doctrines all the time and don't know what to say and don't have any product of good fruit? Are they, or are they people that generally are moving upward and moving onward and they love people? They have the, the evidence of God's love in their heart and they have a concern for souls and they're reaching out after other people. Jesus said, by their fruit ye shall know them. Then he said an astonishing thing in verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now, the, general, the World Council of Churches has a confession of faith, and they will accept anybody into that group that has this confession of faith. Jesus Christ is Lord. You say that with your tongue. Well, that sounds good. The problem is, Jesus said, not everybody says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But those that do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. It is possible to get into a Baptist church and confess Jesus Christ is Lord, and yet never, you just say it with your tongue. You've never said it with your heart. You've never allowed Jesus really to be Lord of your life. When he is Lord of your life, he controls the various areas. Not, not, that makes, not that that makes you above sin so that you never fail at all, 
but it simply means your general characteristic, the general characteristic of your life is reaching out to other people and the, the love of Christ that constrains you to keep on keeping on and being faithful. It will be a tragic day when we stand before the Lord and people who have called Jesus Lord will not go to heaven. They said, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and this and this in your name? And the Lord will have to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you never allowed Jesus to be Lord inside. Now when, where do, where do good works originate? On the outside or the inside? Where is, what produces good fruit on a tree? Is it something that's inside the tree or something that's out there on the outside of that, the skin of the apple or the skin of the pear? It's the inside. And it's the inside of us that produces the outward. And what is it that's inside of us that produces good fruit? The Holy Spirit dwelling in our heart. And when He is in our heart, He's the one that produces good fruit. You, you can fake it a while. But ultimately, it'll show up. You just can't fake it. The Holy Spirit is either there or He isn't there. And if He isn't there, after a while, all of this will fade away. Now, look in verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these things of me and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that builds his house upon a rock. Now, we've known that if you've been in church very long, you've known that whole story there from childhood where you've sung, the wise man built his house upon the rock, the wise man built his house upon the rock, the wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down, the floods came up, the rains came down, the floods came up, the rains came down, the floods came up, and the house on the rock did what? Stood firm. If your life is built on Jesus Christ, the rock, you're going to stand there. That's not sinking sand. That's a rock. The Lord's our rock in a weary land. And when the Scripture speaks of rock, it's talking about deity, it's talking about Jesus. That's the reason he said to Peter, Thou art Petros, a little pebble upon this rock, this bedrock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the book of Ephesians, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. He's the rock. For the wise man is the one that builds his house upon the rock, Jesus Christ. The foolish man builds his house on the sand. Now, frankly, you can build a pretty good-looking house on the sand. And a lot of people do that. They build their lives on the sinking sands of emotion, on the sinking sands of good work, on the sinking sands of being sorry for some sin they got that, that they committed, and so they, they, they have some crocodile tears and try to turn over a new leaf, and they build a whole house out of that. But they've never built their house on the rock. And when the winds come and the storms come, that house on the sand falls flat. Jesus, with terrific insight, is telling us, be sure your house is built on the rock. That's what it means to be a disciple. Blessed are the peacemakers, the meek, the pure in heart. 
Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you. All those wonderful beatitudes. Jesus starts this sermon that way. He closes it by saying, now, be sure. Be very sure. In times like these, be sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that the, the night, the Holy Spirit, would speak to every heart. Help us to be positive beyond the shadow of a doubt. <clears throat> that our life is hid with God in Christ. That our life is built on the rock, Jesus Christ. And when the trouble comes and the turmoil comes and the disappointments and our personal failures come, instead of curling up in a knot and dying or throwing in the towel or just quitting, we would say, where could I go but to the Lord? And we go back to Calvary and know that our burdens are lifted there and that Jesus is all that he said he would be. Oh, dear Father, touch every heart here tonight. If there's one person without Christ, Help that one to come to Jesus tonight. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand, please. Turn to page 300. I have a Savior. He's pleading in glory. A dear, loving Savior, though earth's friends be few. And as we sing this, let's examine our own hearts. There may be someone here tonight who really is not sure your, 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 your house is built on the rock. You're not really sure. Why not get sure of that tonight? Just say, Lord, by the grace of God, I want to be positive beyond any question. And my name is written in heaven. If I've never been saved, I want to be saved. I need Christ. And if there's something in your life that's been a disappointment to you and you've not really taken care of that matter, why not take it to the Lord tonight? Maybe you can do that right where you stand. Maybe you need to come and kneel at the altar. Do what God tells you to do. The membership is in some other church and God wants you at this church, you come. And if you have somebody on your heart, you'd like to see them saved. Matter of fact, you'd rather see that person saved than for you to eat. Pray for that person. The Lord may lead you to come down here and just pray for him, spend a few minutes at the altar praying for him. But let's use this time as a time of, of prayer. Lord, I, I'm praying. I thank you for praying for me and I'm praying for others. While we thank you, come.